Hey everybody, I'm Anna McEwen. And now for Bob Switzer with the epic narrative. Well, everybody, we are still in chapter two. Why? Because this is epic. <laughs> Welcome to the epic narrative, everyone. And uh, un- unlike last time, I I promise we will be done with this chapter today. I promise. Bob's giving me the sarcastic look. Yes. Now, come on. I mean, there's only like three verses left. What are the... Uh, I ne- uh, yeah, you're right. I did get stuck on verse 15 for an entire 45 minutes. So you're right. I it 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 still, but no, no, that they all tie in together very nicely. I'm I'm confident based on my outline, we will get through. I know I was confident last week, but no. Remember when I read the verses? I was like, yeah, I might not make it through that last three verses, and I was correct. I could have, but it would have been you know an extra long one, and I probably wouldn't have done those, those last three verses uh, justice because I would have been like rushing through it just to make a point that I could finish the chapter. So here we go. During that long period, <laughs> I laugh because you know I'm going to get stuck in a period of time for a little while because, man, it covers like 40 years. But let me continue. The king of Egypt died. The Israelites groaned in their slavery and cried out, and their cry for help because of their slavery went up to God. God heard their groaning. He remembered his covenant with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, and so God looked on the Israelites and was concerned for them, about them. And those words will will, will break those, that last, I mean, that honestly, right? Those last couple verses, 24 and 25, are, they're epic in their own right. They're they're just they're just awesome verses of comfort for so many people who are suffering that God you know hears and He remembers and He all that stuff we we will we will get into that we will uh, but they are they are great verses and I think sometimes because of how wonderful they are most preachers and again this isn't a knock on them right they have some of them only have twenty minutes to make a point so that everybody's happy so they can go home. And say, wasn't that a wonderful time at church? We had wonderful coffee and donuts, and we had a nice uh, conversation in the cafe, and then we went in and heard an amazing concert, uh, worship concert, and we even sang a little bit uh, along with them. And then, and then, uh, yeah, the preacher was really good today, very entertaining. Uh, I liked the joke he told, and boom, like we're done. Hour and a half, and I'm now spiritual. Okay, okay, I joke, I joke, but... That's another whole thing. You can listen to my Bob thoughts if you want to hear uh, some of my evaluation of the current paradigm of church and how it desperately needs to change. Desperately. I, actually, I, I don't think it needs to change. I think it's, it is changing and has been changing, and the amount it changes will continue to grow over the years to come because it cannot be sustained in the old model. Just can't be. There you go. I've said it. Uh, big churches will take a lot longer but, but it's, trust me, it wasn't COVID. It wasn't COVID. The paradigm of church was shifting, um, probably five to six years before COVID shut everybody down, at least for a few months in some places, some places were shut down for a year or plus. Um, but anyways, again, see, don't get me, don't get me started. (laughs) Oh, this is probably, again, one of the reasons why I'm still, an unemployed preacher is because I don't, I can't go back to the old paradigm. Just can't. I've seen too many amazing things that God's doing in the future. I've hung out with so many people that are involved in it and yet, you know, still no job being produced by it. But man, I'm excited by what God's doing. To me, that is the essence of the revival in the church. And it's not happening in the churches because they're dying. All right. On with the conversation. <laughs> on with the conversation, Bob. Maybe I'll end up doing another Bob thoughts on it because now my head is swirling. On yes, God does hear, and He is active. And verse twenty-three during that long period, 
That long period, almost 40 years, have passed in this sentence. It is fascinating how quickly the Bible skips over years of what I would consider kind of, it's not mundane, but it's kind of like nothing of significance was noted during those 40 years in Moses' life or in the life of the Israelites and Hebrews and Egypt. Literally, people just trudging along for 40 years, hoping that life would get better. Moses living his life, right? He had Now he has two sons. And uh, he's taken on, you know, the, the feeding and shepherding and of flocks, the trading, the interacting of, uh, with merchants for, for other goods that they need in the household, for his household, for uh, Raul or uh, Jethro's household. I know we went over that last week as well, why he's called two different names. And I'll try not to interchange them. I'll try to pick one and stick with it, but just... I just wanted to throw that out there just in case you missed last week. There is a reason why, and uh, I will I will tease you to go listen at least to the last, I uh, think, about four minutes of the of the podcast. You should get a, a briefing on why he's called two different names. Now, one of the things I, I that came to my mind when I was thinking about what was 40 years like in the desert for Moses, I thought, this is a man who was trained in a very specific manner of leadership. He was trained to in, in the paradigm of control. He was trained in the paradigm of rulers rule and everybody else submits. Now, I know, I know because of the philosophy that he would have been taught by Greeks and, um, and Africans and Asians, like he would have been taught that there are other forms of of leadership, servant leadership specifically, because those things did exist and there were those types of leaders. And philosophically, you know, and quote, I guess, academically, he would have been aware of these things, but it would not have been the way that he would have been uh, pursuing. It's not, it's not the philosophy of leadership that he would have been pursuing. So he's out here with sheep, and I believe part of what he's doing is he is gaining a different mindset when it comes to leading, or at least learning to balance his mindset when it comes to leading. Because sheep, sheep uh, are an interesting group of, of animals. Herding sheep, and I know that wasn't the only thing that he herded. It wasn't like he was only a shepherd of sheep. I'm sure that there were goats, and there were mules, and there were other, you know, cash crops, so to speak, that he would, uh, that he would have been involved in connecting with. But I think the uh, you know the Lord's goodness shows up here in that even though he's feeling like this is kind of a not a waste of time but a, a lost opportunity to be great. Um, now he's like, well, this is you know this is a good life. It's fine. I got a wife. I got two kids. I make a good living. I'm part of a really great family. They took me in like one of their own. Jethro is amazing. Uh, I you know I'm good. It's all good. I'm good. And God in his goodness is, is actually working at a much deeper level over time. Over those 40 years, he's really, he's really knitting together a different frame, a uh, uh, filter, knitting together a different filter, filter. Oh, building a different framework, uh, creating a new paradigm. <laughs> oh, so many phrases. I love it. Uh, for Moses to operate when uh, another opportunity is going to present itself. And God knows all the possibilities that are out front. Do I think, we'll, we'll say it again, do I think that God was manipulating the circumstances like some sort of chess master or puppeteer in order to bring about the ultimate uh, renew, uh, you know, not renewal, um, uh, re reconnection of Moses back to Egypt and the leading of the Hebrews. No, I don't, because I don't think God has that kind of paradigm of, of leadership. But I do think he understood how it could get there. And I do think he knew the possibility that if, <laughs> if Abraham, uh, uh, not, not Abraham, 
If Jacob decided to go to Egypt and stay during the famine, if Joseph brought his family down and and got them a place to live and told them to stay and gave them great jobs in Egypt, and if they chose not to leave even after Joseph died and they stayed, see, these were all their choices. I think God just kept seeing the possibilities, and he's like, eventually, eventually, There could be a possibility, there could be a way forward in which Moses could get called back to lead my people out of Egypt. Because I don't think, I I said this in season two, I don't think they were supposed to be there. I don't think God was like, I need you to go down to Egypt, I need to save my people. No, 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 he wasn't out of options in the promised land. He wasn't. He just wasn't. Anyways, I understand. You know, some some of you still have that picture of God. That's fine. You can go with that, and you can still believe God is good, and I think that's awesome. But you have to do some pretty interesting theological gymnastics to look at what he quote did to his people and still call him good. And you can't just toss it up in the air and say, oh, well, you know, God is God, is God and his ways are not my ways, and, and his thoughts are not my thoughts, so I can't really say and he's righteous and he's holy and I'm just a worm and I can't think his thoughts. And, and then you have more gymnastics, right? Because Jesus said he gave you the mind of Christ, so do you think his thoughts or not? He said he gave you a new nature in order to interact with the Holy Spirit who will teach you all things. Do, are you being taught by the Holy Spirit or or do you periodically just tap into what you know this is this is this is these are the twists and turns that you have to answer to, which is fine. I had all the answers at one time as well, but now I just see God as good. And God as a God of the possibilities, and he's like, My goodness is gonna be ready at every choice you can make. So I think he's preparing Moses because, because uh, you know, one of the things you learn in herding sheep is they need mercy. <laughs> they need mercy because they, they, they can get under your skin because they just don't pay attention to their circumstances. Well, technically, they can't really see anything around them. They're pretty nearsighted. You need to be patient with them. You need to be very caring of them. They need everything. You need to put oil on their head to keep the bugs away. You need to, you need to wrap them up. You need to herd them together so they can follow each other. You can't let them get too too separated or they lose track of one another and start running off a cliff somewhere. They need help when they're hurt because they don't know what to do. They they end up hurting themselves more. So they actually need healing by the by the shepherd. You need to plan where to eat because they will literally eat themselves in a circle down to the down to the dirt and then they can't find anything else to eat they don't know where to go uh, you have to lead them you need you need vision you need to you need to lead them where they you need to in essence tell them where they're going then lead them there because you can't just point you can't say hey guys head that direction you know like you could do for a dog or for a horse where you could say you know hit them on the butt and tell them to go home and they will these guys need constant attention and love and mercy and kindness because odds are they would die without you. These are things that God is weaving into Moses' life. And I don't think he's weaving them in there and Moses is going, oh, I need to know this for my future leadership position. I need to know this for my future opportunity to be a a ruler over millions of people. No, this this is the brilliant shepherding of Jesus. God, wonderful counselor, mighty God. Like he he comes in and he literally weaves together your life in ways that you don't even you don't even know what he's doing until the moment comes where you need it and then it's like, "Wow, I'm fully equipped for for what it is I'm doing." God's like, "Yes, because I'm preparing you for every possibility that could come forward. I'm preparing you because that's what I do. I'm in the you are, you know, I'm in the processing business. I process everything with you. I make you everything you could be in case anything happens. You will be ready because that's how good God is. It's it's an amazing opportunity. 
and Moses doesn't even know what's going on. See, Moses had been trained in, like I said, the control mindset of leadership, that, that paradigm where rulers rule. He was a hunter. What do hunters learn? You learn all kinds of things on how to take advantage of your prey, how to show up where, you know, where they don't expect you, how to wait for them in a, in a, you know, in a way that they don't know, they don't see you and they're just doing their regular routine and you're able to take them out. He was a warrior. He understood strategy against large armies. He understood the, the group psychosis that, psychosis? Hal- I, that's not halitosis. Halitosis is the breath, right? The group dynamic that could occur uh, based on what you could do, how you could intimidate through sound, through, you know, through visual activities. And he understood how to, how to negotiate peace without any battle because he understood how, how to threaten the, the lives of those that he was in front of and how they'd rather have their life and, and deal with the terms of peace than be brutally killed by the army in front of them. And he understands this. Like, that's what he was trained in. The political tactics, oh, as much as he hated them, he understood them. He knew who to talk to, when to talk to them. He knew, he knew who his enemies were. He knew his, who his friends were. He knew when to apply pressure to his grandfather, when not to. He knew where to walk and when not to walk there. He knew what to wear, where he was walking. He knew what, you know, do I wear the, the full trappings of being a, a prince because I'm going to an ambassador's house or do I wear something much more low-key because I'm going to observe the the taskmasters, and I want to see what they're doing and if they're obeying the law. Like there's all kinds of things that he understood and the impact that it could have, who he talked to, how he talked to them, how he greeted them. I mean, we see that now, even now in the Middle East, when there's, you know, international uh, conferences and stuff going on and, and somebody has a faux pas. Unfortunately, currently, it's been often our president who forgets what country he's in or forgets that he's not supposed to touch certain leaders or he's supposed to, you know, whatever, where he's supposed to sit. But Moses would have been on all that. Like he would have been trained in all this. He also understood his, you know, his personal strategies, goals. These are things that he had to keep in alignment with his overall vision of ruling the nations. And I believe he, again, I believe his goal was to rule both nations, the Hebrews and the Egyptians. He did not, I, 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 I know, I do know people adamantly disagree with me on this. And so you, if you listen to this, you are listening to a radical precision, position. But I don't think Moses was fully aware of the covenant of God with Abraham. I think he was nominally aware of it, but I don't think he was fully aware of it. And so I don't think he saw the promised land as having to be Canaan. I think he saw the promised land as wherever the Hebrews were. And he figured they could be here in Egypt and I could rule them both. I could bring these two great nations together. Now, uh, let's see, power, personal, personal strategies, powerful people. (laughs) All right. So, uh, oh, there it is. Powerful... Powerful people needed to be powerful or other powerful people would run them over. Your goal as a powerful person was not to lead people, but to control them. So as Moses is putting life together out there in the, in the uh, wilderness over 40 years, Moses led his flocks well, Right? They grew fat. They grew strong. They reproduced at numbers that were never seen before in this area. And this is all based on on oral traditions and legends. So yes, it's all these are extra biblical. But people people observed his wisdom, his creative wisdom, his ability to see ahead, to make plans based on nuances of weather and landscape. Uh, to to pattern the um, the birthing uh, uh, time the timing of birthing so that so that births were taking place 
as much as it could throughout the year. No other shepherds fought with him. After he took out those those ones around the around the well, his reputation was pretty secure that you just didn't mess with Moses. Didn't matter how old he was. You just didn't mess with him. And then his actual shepherding skills and leadership skills made him very much appreciated by by all the other shepherds and leaders of the of that nation of the uh, Midian nation. They they wanted his wisdom. So he had a he had he was well respected and maybe a little scary. Uh, they you know he found pastures outside the normal places. He found creve, you know uh, valleys in in various areas of the mountainside that others hadn't found yet. Um, they were actually uh, shocked. It says at Moses's flocks in their constant, consistent improvement year after year after year. And Jethro also, of course, benefited from this. Zipporah and her sisters all benefited from, from this. Moses had a reputation of being a joyful, positive man whose families and flocks seemed to reflect that attitude. I don't think Moses spent 40 years in the doldrums of depression. I think after he, he had a wife and he was enjoying his children. I think he really believed he, he had a really good life. It wasn't what he had expected the first 40 years of his life, but he's sitting down going, I could do this. I could do this till I die. This is amazing. Look at where I live. Look at how I live. Look at how free I am. I'm guessing at this point, he doesn't look Egyptian anymore. He looks Midian. He looks like everyone else. He dresses like everyone else. And he regales them with periodic stories of pharaohs and and warriors. And I'm sure some of his shepherds, you know, he might have even give, given some, some hand-to-hand combat training to shepherds. I'm sure he did to his sons. I mean, every father does this to, you know, with his sons. They teach him how to wrestle a little bit. Come here, son. Let me wrestle you. And Jethro prospered, and he gained back, it says that he gained back his respect and honor in the region. Now, some believe that he stepped back into the role as priest because Moses introduced him to the God of the Hebrews. And even though Moses had um, been around and interacted with many idols, he, much like Jethro, saw that they were just worthless, that they were just, you know, the priests that were there were just talking out of their own heads. They weren't connecting. Now, I, I'm not, please don't, please, some people are going to be like, they're demons, they're demons in those idols. I know, I know. I do know that when you don't worship God, you open yourself up to the enemy, and the enemy will take advantage of any on-ramp that you give him in order to kill, steal, and destroy anything he can about your life until your life is gone. Yes, I know. <laughs> I'm not taking that away. I'm just saying in these in these 40 years, I believe that Moses became more and more convinced that there was one God. And I believe he became a real follower of Yahweh. And I know that in the Jewish tradition, you know, he never stopped that. He learned it at, at, the, at his mother's breast, and he never stopped worshiping Yahweh as the only God, that he never worshiped any other idol, that he was almost basically sinless his entire life. I do know that there are large segments of the world that believe that about Moses. I don't want to take that away from you. I'm just giving you another perspective the epic narrative perspective. And that's all. So Jethro gained back his respect, his honor in the region. And I believe that he that the that the two of them were leading people to the God of the Hebrews, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. I think that during this time Moses Moses no longer was interested in his Egyptian connections, in his Egyptian roots. He became, uh, you know, as he's out in the fields, and I'm not saying he was day-to-day shepherding, but he was, as he interacted with the flocks and the shepherds and, and his family, he realized, I don't align with the philosophy of Egypt. 
I was trained in it, and I was really good at it, and I thought at one point I might even rule over it, but I'm really, I'm really more aligned with who I came from. I'm more in alignment with my Hebrew uh, heritage. And that's where, you know, that's what I think he started to connect with and really grew in his connection. Now, in verse, uh, <laughs> yes, we're still in verse 23. Bob's like, we are never getting out of this chapter. We are. I promised everyone. And so we're only 25 minutes in. The It says, <laughs> I know, he's like, yeah, in four words. But but uh, forget it. Just pay attention. All right. The king of Egypt died. The Israelites groaned in their slavery and cried out, and their cry for help because of their slavery went to God. Boom. Now, God here, Elohim is the word. The Israelites groaned, groaned in their slavery, and their the cry for help went up to God. Elohim is considered a... A ruler, judge, you know, true God. When it says it came to pass, these are, again, that's a phrasing of, of years, 40 years. I, I think the only reason why we know that a Pharaoh died is because this was a point of, of interest to the Hebrews. I think that they hoped, they put their hope in a change of, of leadership. They put their hope in a new Pharaoh bringing new policies. Now, remember, they had their own elders, they had their own priests, and the elders and priests would have worked with the government, the current government, to try and ease the requirements of work because they didn't want to leave. And, and don't freak out over that. How many of us would much rather live where we're living and deal with more restrictions than go through the, quote, hassle of packing everything up and having nowhere to go. They had nowhere to go. In their mind, what were they going to do? Go back to Canaan? They didn't own anything there. They were they were an immigrant na a nation of immigrants, a nation of slave immigrants. They had given up all of their position and all of their influence in Egypt and now they just were trying to survive. This is this is the classic mentality of somebody who is a slave or orphan, somebody who doesn't have a home. Now, I use that word carefully, orphan, because I know that the, that the Hebrew nation wasn't an orphan, right? They had their father God. I get that. They had their heavenly father. Yes. But what I mean is they were an orphan nation. They had nowhere to go back to. They couldn't go back to Ur. They couldn't go back to Babylon. They couldn't go back to Canaan. The, in, in, in a slave mentality, slaves are always looking to survive. They're just looking to make the master happy enough that their lives are easier. Unfortunately, a lot of people look at God that way. They look at God as a, master, a slave master. I'm just here to serve, to serve, to serve, and to try and survive in this world until I get to heaven. And then somehow in heaven, suddenly God's no longer going to be a slave master. He's just going to be God, and I'll just, I'll just worship and serve him for all of eternity, and I will like it because my preacher said I will, and I believe it. And it goes on and on. I, I quoted something the other day on Facebook. Uh, man, it was, uh, it was a horrible saying, and I thought, man, I don't want this to be true, but but it is, and it was, it was some of the meanest people I know know more about the Bible than I'll ever know, and it's true. I, I didn't I, again. I didn't want it to be true, but so many people know so much about the Bible, and they literally manipulate, control, and beat people over the head with it. They're some of the meanest people. I've seen people, you know, belittle and 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 steal the identity of amazing men and women. In order to maintain control, they literally use the same paradigm as the Egyptian pharaohs. They enslave those that, that they should be working alongside of. Pastors have enslaved their entire congregation and made their congregations happy about it. You better be happy because you could be enslaved by, you know, an, you know, the enemy. But now you're a slave to God and it... I know, I know there are New Testament things to work through, and maybe <laughs> you stick with the epic narrative. We will eventually get to the New Testament, and we'll deal with it at that point. 
But wow. That's the way they looked at, at God. That's the way that they viewed their position in Egypt. They had nowhere to go. Let's just hope that we survive. Let's just band together. Now, it does band you together, for sure, in a survival mindset. People who have survived tragedies are incredibly connected. I mean, even, even you know natural disasters, people who have survived natural disasters become incredibly bonded together. Uh, people who have survived cancers, they they have these you know these groups. They get together. They are bonded together. Or addictions, they get really connected. So this nation is incredibly connected over this idea of surviving slavery. And I believe they had hope that with a, when the pharaoh died, they get a new pharaoh. And their elders were like, "We will talk to him. We will let him know what our demands are." They, you know, we, we are in a good position here. They can't, you know, run the nation without us. We will, we will get what we want. And it, it, you know, it didn't happen. Things got worse. Things got worse under the new Pharaoh. And it was clear that nothing was going to change. Politics had failed them. Wow, how many, how many people have put their hope in politics. How many how many Christians have got, I'm not saying you shouldn't be involved in politics, but your hope, when your hope is in a politician to bring about your freedom, you're in the wrong place. If your hope is in a preacher to bring about your, you're in the wrong, if your hope is in anything but God, it's in the wrong place. Because what did God command us to do? We go back to our identities from Genesis 1. You are to take dominion. In other words, take control of yourself. This is on you. You can't look around you and say, well, I can't help it. There's you know, regulations and there's things I have to do. I can't, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? That's the attitude of a slave. What can I do? There's nothing I can do. Can't fight City Hall. Can't do I can't. What am I going to do? I can't. Well, there are things you can do. And uh, yeah, maybe I'll bring it up in, in Bob Thoughts at the end. But there are things you can do. You can free yourself. And there's many who have, millions who have. So you do have options. You do have options. And they had options. But they had put all their hope in politics, and it got worse. All their elders had failed to come through for them. So, so then they cry out to God. Now they cry out to God. Now, was this the first time that they cried out since the killing of the babies? I don't know. But it seems to be a different mindset of crying out. When you're just surviving good enough, and they hope that you know the pharaoh, things would get better with a new pharaoh, uh, and, and then they could just stay. They could get back. You know, they kept trying to capture something from the past. Remember, I hear stories of the good old days when Joseph was here and the and all the brothers were still alive before they all died off. Like we were we had it good. We had it good. We were wealthy. We were, you know, we we had influence. We were all we were our own people. We had this beautiful land. We had this beautiful city. We were building more villages. And everybody's like, yeah, I wish we could go back there. Another little side note. So many people in business, in church, in their own homes, think that they're bringing forth a great vision, but they're actually just bringing forth a great memory. They just want to go back to something that used to be good. And that is not vision. That is not moving Anybody, yourself, your family, your congregation, um, your business, you're not moving forward if all you're trying to do is, is either maintain or recapture something else. Memory is not vision. And I believe that they had a memory of what it could have been and they lost out on it again. They've now been at this for several generations and it keeps getting worse. Now they cry out. They realize, man, we are stuck. The plan didn't work. Their cries went out to God in a different way in that it required a response. It wasn't just um, a ritual. 
So many times our prayers are just ritualistic. You know, we just say things to God. We don't require a response. It's not a relational conversation that we're having with him. That's that's the nuances of these of this language. They cried out to him in a new way. It wasn't that they didn't pray, that they didn't go and do, you know, whatever it was the the religious leaders wanted wanted them to do or the elders were asking them to do. They did all that, but it wasn't working this time. This time was different. This time it, it it went up a notch, went to a different stream. It required a response. And it went up to God. If they had done this earlier, what would happen? I don't know. Were they just pawns in God's plan? I don't think so. You could say, but Bob, but Bob, he, he prophesied to Abraham that this was going to happen. And after 400 years, they'd be, they'd be freed. That is one way you could look at that. Or you could say he warned Abraham that if they went down to Egypt and stayed there, that this would happen. But if they do, God was still going to be there. And after 400 years, because God understands how people operate, he understands how long it takes for people to change. He understands because he loves us and knows us so well. And he's like, if they go down, things are going to look good for a while. But eventually, probably, yep, about 400 years in, they're going to need somebody to get them out, and I will get them out because I am good. It wasn't a requirement for the nation of Israel or or the Hebrews, but it is what happened. And God knew that there was that possibility. So, no, I don't think that they were just pawns in God's plan. We've been over that before. Had they turned to God and cried out to him earlier, would he have changed? Yeah, I believe so. Well, then he would have been lying to Abraham. No, because it was just a possibility. It was not a requirement. I don't think they should have went, or if they went down, they should have left after the famine was over. They should have moved the whole family back. But life was good. It's, listen, when life is good, it is seductive. It is tough to voluntarily give everything up. If you followed me, you know. We gave up a beautiful home on two acres of land with a pool and a beautiful yard and some woods in the back. We gave up an amazing job getting paid well to do what we believe God called us to do, which was go, because change needed to occur. And as of this recording, we've been on the road now for almost a year, and we still have no actual understanding of where that's going to lead us. But I wouldn't, I look back and I see what's going on and I think, I don't, I'm glad I, mm, that's tough to, it's tough to watch. I wish the best for them. I love them. I want the best for them. I want things to go well. Anyways, that's my personal journey. You can, you can write to me individually if you want to hear more. God responds in four ways. All right, so these prayers show the character of God. First, it says God heard their groaning. He heard them. God hears. It isn't that he ignored them up until this point or they weren't doing it right. It's that in the way that they approached him this time, it required God to respond. Remember, you, you, get, <laughs> you get what you have faith for. And for years, they had faith that God was just something, someone, uh, you know, another slave master. That's the way that God was seen. He was just another all-powerful being, but he was the most powerful being. And, and their job was to worship him. And if they didn't worship him, things would get worse. Well, things kept getting worse. So they just kind of kept trying to worship harder. But they didn't understand. They didn't. They didn't. Res- they didn't interact with God in the in a way that required a response. God hears, and God is going to respond. Secondly, it says He remembered His covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It isn't that God forgot it, right? And we read it and we think, oh, they had to be reminded. 
What? Oh, yes, that's right. I made a promise to some guys. Let's see. That was a long time. That was that was years ago. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Probably should do something about that. No, it means that he's, he's going to be giving attention to his, to his prior promises. He'll be acting in accordance with that covenant. That's what it means, that he remembered the covenant that he made with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's like, yes, yes, you cry out to me, and I act accordingly. That's what that means, I remember. He didn't forget. He just hadn't been asked. God is not. See, this, this is another, another, I guess you could say, point toward the idea that he's not a puppet master. He's not going to even force his own promises on you if you don't want them. If you don't want, listen, if you don't want, he's like, do what you want. Try and work it out yourself. I, I am so into freedom that I am not going to force you to do this. And they, they didn't lose the covenant because of their behavior because God had made it clear to Abraham that he was covering both ends of the covenant. The covenant would not be destroyed over somebody's behavior or lack of fulfillment because God was going to cover both ends of the, of the covenant, as God always does. So the covenant's intact, unadulterated. Un, uh, He's like, yes, I will act accordingly. And then it says... Uh, uh, da, 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 da. You remember the covenant? So God looked, he saw them. That's another way of saying he looked, he saw. And it isn't that they, you know, he had closed his eyes or gone on vacation, but it says that that he was moved by his his love and his kindness. You see, when God responds, he responds out of his character, and his character is love. And kindness. It says he looked, he saw them. And he's like, wow. Wow. I love these guys. I've always loved these guys. And girls. It's a it was a it's everybody. I love this whole nation. They are my children. And now, now they've invited me to get involved in their lives, and I am looking forward to that. And then it says he was concerned or he took notice of them. And again, it isn't the idea that, uh, you know, this is like new information. Like, oh my goodness, you're slaves? Huh, how did this happen? No, he says, I took notice, carries with it the idea that he is actually going to share the experience with them. He is going to get to know them intimately again. He's, he's not saying, listen, I'm way up here. You guys have a lot of problems down there. This is going to take some time to work out. You've made a lot of bad choices. Thanks for inviting me in. Is, you know, let, me, let me work on this. He's like, I, I am going to walk this out with you because that's what a good shepherd does. He doesn't just point at his sheep and say, hey, head that direction. Come on, guys. I'm busy over here. I need, I, you know, I need to finish my lunch. Get to, that, get to that other pasture and I'll meet you there. He's like, I'm going to share it with you. I'm going to be concerned. I'm going to take notice of you. Notice everything about you. Every little nook and cranny, every wrinkle on your skin. I am going to be there for you. In other words, uh, I mean, from my perspective, I would say that God hears these prayers and he's like, wow, I'm being invited back into relationship with people that I love, and I can't wait to get there. There's been a few times on our journey that we've run, you know, reconnected with people that we really hadn't seen in, well, several of them, all of them over 20 years, several of them close to 30 years, and yet there was a love, there was, there was a connection there. It was like, yes, wow, this would be amazing to do life with these people. And I, that's, the, that's the aura that I get around these words. God's like, yes, I cannot wait to reconnect with the people that I love. This is going to be intimate. This is going to be something of a shared experience. And I look forward to it. Now, I want you to keep that in mind. 
when we move on to the next chapters, because this is the heart of God. The heart of God is compassion, it's love, it's kindness, it's it's giving attention to the you know to to His promises. It's the idea that that He wants to respond, He wants to have relationship. He doesn't want to be seen as a master in heaven that is controlling everybody by their by His power and authority. He wants intimacy which means you get to see into him, you see, and he gets to see into you, you see. That's into me, you see, intimacy. And we're going to take a look at that. Ladies and gentlemen, we have finished chapter two. I think, what was that? Please tell me, was it more than three weeks? Let's see, one, two, three, Oh no. Okay, let's not let's not focus on that. Let's focus on the next chapter and the next week of the epic narrative. Thanks so much for being here today. Don't go anywhere. We've got Bob Thoughts. Okay, I got some thoughts. I got some thoughts. I do want to touch on uh, something I'm uh, where I said I'd talk a little bit more about taking dominion. I think that a lot of uh, people have been conditioned with, especially in the Western world, to be passive, to let things happen to them. And, and in a lot of times, we expect things to happen for us rather than taking dominion. And there's something, uh, something that, yeah, that I think a lot of people need to work on. Now, some some are, you know, they, they take this independence thing more as an act of like rebellion where they, they just rebel against everything. And I'm not, I'm not speaking to that. I'm speaking about just that mental capacity to take the next step to free yourself from whatever you may be entangled in. And, um, you know, sometimes, that, sometimes that is fairly dramatic. Uh, but, but it can be as simple as taking dominion over your, uh, over your menus. I don't want to say diet because, because that can conjure up all kinds of concepts, but some, sometimes, you know, we just need to be able to say, Hey, I'm going to choose to be more healthy and I'm going to take dominion over this. Now, sometimes we need a tool to help us. Sometimes a program or a, you know, a, uh, uh, some sort of, uh, uh, menu help or whatever can help us do that, but it shouldn't. Sometimes you know people get into that, and it's like, again, I'm gonna just I'm gonna choose to let this happen to me rather than I'm gonna choose to take dominion over this. And it's the same with work. Sometimes people are like, well, I just you know have to. It's the way things, whatever you know. We just kind of again a passive approach to it rather than saying no. I'm going to take dominion on this. Now, I don't want to take away from the idea that sometimes we have to wait to see what the Lord's going to do or what doors might open. Like I'm in currently, I just, I, I'm, it's, it's a weird space to be in. But part of the fact that I'm in this space is because we took dominion over where we were headed, which would have been as delightful as it was to work with the people we were with it was not going to free, it was not freeing us. It was, it was, uh, and we just, we needed for our journey, either adjustments to be made in the way things were operated, or we needed to be, we, we needed to take dominion. We needed to step out, which we did. And again, doesn't mean that what was going on was evil or anything like that. It just, for our journey, that's what, that's part of what we did. We took dominion over our lives. Now, Yes, it is difficult, and we've talked about that in other places, being in limbo, wondering what's what we're supposed to do next, but it's a decision that we didn't let happen to us. It's a decision that we felt, uh, yeah, we made the decision. Uh, and so sometimes I know that taking dominion can be scary, and uh, you might feel alone and left out and and or at least spun out. Uh, and sometimes it has to do with your uh, what's going on with your home, uh, getting out of debt. Uh, sometimes it has to do with uh, um, as much as even um, something my wife and I did, which was we 
you know, we became sovereign citizens, sovereign people rather than just citizens, uh, which is a, a whole legal um, process, but it allows us to be um, in a position that gives us more freedom and opportunity to have more uh, say over who we are and where we are and what we do. Now, we have not gone down uh, much further than that, but I know people who have, and they are taking dominion over their the land that they own, over the vehicles, over their credit card debt. There's, there is a lot of ways to take dominion, and I think that that is something the Lord wants us to do. It's what he put us in the garden to do. He's like, take dominion. Don't just let it happen to you. Don't just be a victim. Take dominion. And I think uh, we all have opportunities to do that, and we can all do that, you know, more. And we should take the next step to taking dominion, making the decisions. And if it's wrong, it's wrong. You see, that's the beauty of the kingdom, right? You have the you have the opportunity for grace and mercy, and God's goodness is never going to not be there for you if you make a, quote, wrong decision. He's always going to be there for you. That's the beauty of the kingdom. So uh, I, well, we'll end it there. I, 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 don't, I, I know it's a big subject, and I don't, I don't mean to uh, really. If, if you're listening to that and you feel guilty or, or, you, or, or whatever, like, please just take it as a word of encouragement. Find something in your life that you can just take dominion over, that you can uh, step into and try and see what happens. Because God is good all through time. And I will see you again next week on The Epic Narrative. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening. If you like what you heard, you can subscribe to this podcast on any platform you use. You can also reach out to Bob for questions or booking at thebobswitzer.com or email him at thebobswitzer at gmail.com. See you next week, guys.